Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I am over the moon to share my guest with you guys today. This woman is an award-winning author, transformational speaker, hope-restoring coach, and media personality. She has impacted me possibly more greatly than any other speaker I've seen on stage. She's a woman who got her start as your favorite personal finance expert, America's Money Maven, having tremendous success with her mindset approach to personal finance. She is one of my favorite people because she follows a similar mission to mine, which is empowering women and encouraging them to chase purpose and not money. She's helped me reframe my perspective on wealth, which she redefines in alignment with its original meaning of well-being. And she encourages women to have wealth in all aspects of their lives by pursuing purpose, being fulfilled, and earning more without chasing the dollar, and empowers us to look at life through the lens of abundance and opportunity instead of lack and scarcity. She's the founder of Redefining Wealth and the Earn More Money Movement for Women, and one of my personal role models in faith and finance. Please welcome to the show... Patrice Washington. Oh my gosh, that Hello. was such a lovely introduction. <laughs> you are such a lovely person and it's truly such an honor to have you on the show. And we've been planning this for quite a few months. Um, and I have had that excited kind of nervous giddiness about like, oh, I get to interview somebody I really like. This is so cool. Um, but really because I feel like your message is something that so many women need regardless of whether they're in the entrepreneurial landscape or whether they're a stay-at-home mom or whether they're a working woman, single, married, whatever, whatever. we all have a, a complex relationship with money. Um, I was going to say a different word, <laughs> but not everybody has a messed up relationship with money, but mine has been absolutely in the past. Um, And one thing you and I have in common is that we both had a period of what felt like crushing debt. And then through, um, not alone, but through the support of our faith and community and really making an intention to change that relationship, overcame uh, debt and found new freedom in our finances and in life. So I'm super excited to share your story because I know that um, so many people out there right now are struggling with debt and with money and feeling like they can't ever get ahead. And, uh, and I feel like you can give them some hope. That's what I do. I restore hope. Yeah. 
Cool. So for those who aren't familiar, I just gave them, you know, a little bio, but I would love to hear it from you directly. Um, how did you get to be a finance expert? How did this happen? How'd you get to where you are today? <laughs> it's so funny. Still, when I hear people refer to me as a finance expert, I giggle because I'm like, <laughs> oh, any day now they're going to find me out. Right. Yeah. Because I never sought out to be an expert at anything, um, particularly a finance expert. I I got introduced to personal finance just as a thing and when I was 19 years old, getting involved with real estate. And so a family friend introduced me to this idea of real estate. I got licensed. I really liked it. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm never going to go get a real job. I'm just going to do this. So senior year in college, I got licensed as a real estate and mortgage broker. And to the chagrin of everyone around me when they were applying for jobs or grad school. And I was like, no, I'm just going to be in real estate. And people were like, why in the world would you do something like that? Right. I just knew I wanted freedom and I knew that I wanted to be flexible. And I knew that I, I wanted to be in something that would give me this chance to like have unlimited finances. Like I didn't want to cap like based mm -hmm. on a salary or something. Right. So I did all of those things only to build a really successful business and then turn around and when the realist, when the recession hit, lose it all. And I was like, but how? Cause I did the things, right? Like I went to school, I did, you know, I started the business. I tried to do good business. I saved money. You know, I didn't think I was in too much debt. I tried not to put all my eggs in one basket. Like I followed all the little personal finance things. So how did I go from this seven figure business to scraping up change and applying for welfare? And that is the piece where still when people say, oh, finance expert, I'm like, you guys listen to the lady who was scraping up change and shaking out old purses. But yeah, man. But that's the person who really knows, you know what I mean? And that's the person who we want to learn from because we know that, um, that you're not different from us. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's so important because everybody struggles with imposter syndrome. In fact, I want to reclaim that that phrase and just say, that's called being human. Like we all think that somebody's going to pull back the curtain and find us out that we're not really, um, who you think we are, but that's just the distorted lens. I think that we have of really not seeing our true identity. Mm -hmm. And I think that those of us who are given the privilege of really, really falling into the darkness, are the ones who then later have the honor of helping other people move towards the light, right? Because we know yeah, if we accept, how it feels. If we accept that that was a human thing and we don't see it as just a failure on our part. So yeah. the, the reason that I say it, it still makes me giggle is because when people see experts, they think of people who were like, oh, they went to school and they did all the training and they are this authority and they have been on the mountaintop. And the exact reason that I share the story about losing everything in the recession and literally scraping up change is because I never want someone to feel that this bio means that I've had a mountaintop to mountaintop experience. Mm -hmm. Like I believe that people should see you in every piece of the story from the valley to these proverbial mountaintops to know that no matter where they are on that path, there is hope. Because mm -hmm. if, if it could happen for me, like if I could literally go from foreclosing on my home in Southern California, this, this 6,000 square foot home girl, I, had, I thought I had made it, mm -hmm. to literally 
living in this 600 little teeny tiny square foot little teeny tiny apartment in Metairie, Louisiana after selling everything I owned on Craigslist mm -hmm. and thinking that I could move across the country and leave the debt collectors in California and perhaps mm -hmm. they, they could not find me in Louisiana. Um, if I could go from, from there to that apartment where I found myself sick and tired of being sick and tired, sick and tired of running, sick and tired of trying all these things that only seemed to fail um, back to back to back and still get back up and try again and try again and try again and get to this place. That means no matter where you are in this trajectory, like you, you can do it. Right. We need to hear how real it was because that story is what brings me to tears every time. So if you're willing, and I know, I know you've told it many times, but for everyone who's never heard it once, we have to share it. So can you take us back? You were working in real estate. You had started to build your, build your own mortgage uh, company, right? And you were, you were young. You were like, how old were you at this time? I was 21 when I got my real estate and mortgage brokerage license. I was 22 when I officially launched the business. I was 25 years old before it became a seven figure business. We had 16, we being my now husband, then boyfriend. Mm -hmm. um, we had 16 loan officers and real estate agents. And between the two of us, we owned 13 pieces of property. Oh my goodness. So what year was this when you were at the height of that what everybody would look at and say, crushing it success. What year was this? 2006. Oh girl. Okay. I remember because I was writing loans in 2006. I, I, yeah, girl, I was, I was 20 years old. I got a job writing loans and I had no clue what I was doing. Right. Like, so this guy just hired me and said, yeah, you can do this. Just take this paperwork and go in there and just have her fill it out. And it was like, I'm writing somebody into an option arm and I don't even know what that is. Like I literally was like, I got my license, my real estate license. And I was also in California. Um, but I didn't really understand it. All I understood was like, okay, I can do this. I'm making good money. I have people fill out the papers. I bring them to my boss and I make 10 grand a month. And so, you know, 20 years old making that kind of money, Never mind. Like I had serious addiction problems, compulsive spending, like all kinds of other issues, abusive relationship, all kinds of other things mm -hmm. that were not a good combination with making a significant amount of money. So I know how it felt to be uh, feeling flush in 2006. And then, and then 2007 yeah. happened. Like then I remember it was really, it was New Year's. It was around this time, right before 2007, um, that I went through a big shift and left the state. So when did things fall apart for you? So in 2000, summer of 2007, I was on bed rest. So I had taken a fall um, down the stairs like first week in June and I was 20 weeks pregnant mm -hmm. and fell down the stairs and ended up in preterm labor. So when I got to the emergency room, they essentially were like, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Like, there's nothing we can do. The baby's going to come any minute now. And I was devastated. And I, I literally did the only thing that I knew how to do, which was pray. And mm -hmm. I just started praying and start calling other people and asking them to pray. And what was supposed to be, I guess, hours in the emergency room turned into like almost a day and a half until they were like, we need to admit you. <laughs> like, we need to put you up in a room and admit you. And the contractions had slowed down and they're like, every, we want her to stay in there every minute she possibly can is better for you and better for both of you. And so 
what was supposed to be any minute now turned into several weeks. And about three or four weeks into my hospital stay, I was watching the news and Countrywide had closed their office in El Segundo. That was like one of the big banks that we worked with. And they didn't tell their employees. So the news story was literally showing account executives, like people who called on my office, who would come to my office for deals. I'm watching them because my office was down the street from the branch they were doing this uh, live shot from. I'm watching people that I know on the news kind of going off like what is going on and all this stuff and that was the first time it hit me like oh this is real now in the months before there were other mortgage brokers in my office building who started to close up shop mm -hmm. and they were like oh we're gonna work from home or you know mm -hmm. all this stuff and I was like what's wrong with them they may they must not be closing deals like we are right I'm 25 I'm 26 years old I'm naive I'm like oh they must not be closing deals like we're doing easy a hundred thousand a month. Why would I close up shop? That's crazy. And then bank closed, another closed, another closed. They start changing the programs. They start like basically just getting rid of everything that we did, which is a lot of subprime lending, essentially, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And the loan officers and real estate agents, their deals were falling apart left and right. They were calling me in the hospital. They had a laptop, they were emailing all this stuff. We need help, we need answers. And I literally, like my one job in that moment was to bring this baby into the world safely. Like I just, the stress of trying to figure out what they were going to do when all the banks that I was used to working with didn't have those programs anymore. And people were coming to me cause I was the fixer and I was the closer and I could make it happen and I couldn't make anything happen. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. So I'm like, I definitely can't help you all. So I finally got to a point where my doctor came in the room. I was stressing out. I had that monitor around my waist that monitored the baby's vitals all day long. And my doctor came in and she's like, listen, Patrice, I don't know what you're stressing about, but you're going to have to stop or you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby. Because I did have a son, July 29, 2006, who passed after five hours in my arms. Mm -hmm. And so here we are a year later, around the same time I'm pregnant again. And she's like, if you don't stop you're going to leave here. And it was almost to around the time that he would, he was born. So he was 24 and a half, 25 weeks. And that's the time I was at with that pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I already had all the fear and all the stuff going on, all the conversation. So I asked them, I asked them if I could take the TV off the wall. Mm -hmm. Don't take the remote, take the whole thing. I don't even want to be tempted to have a nurse turn it on for me, take the whole thing. They had maintenance came in, come in and they took the TV off the wall. My husband came and he took my laptop away. And he gave me an iPod. There's no, not, not all the other stuff they have now. Just an iPod. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> just an iPod. For, like filled um, with praise and worship music and a journal and a Bible. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I cannot consume myself with everything going on out there. Like the only thing I can do is worry about what's going on in here. So for the next six weeks, I spent time until August 1st, 2007, when my daughter was born almost a year to the day I went into labor on the like I went into labor the day before which was the day I was released from the hospital the following year I mean the, the previous year so she ended up coming at what like 30 weeks 30 weeks August 1st yep almost almost a year to the day that I had sent an email out telling everyone that my son had passed the year before I literally sent that email out August 1st 6 59 p.m 2006 she was born August 1st at 7.59 p.m. 2007. And then everything got better, right? 
Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the happy ending. Thanks no. for watching. No, that no. Like, so you had your baby and you hadn't been watching TV. And then no, but I but I ha but I didn't know that my money had dwindled <laughs> mm -hmm. quite considerably. I didn't know that no deals were closing and that we were still paying tons of mortgages and all kinds of overhead and all kinds of salaries and everything. Um, and so when I got out, I ended up finally checking the mail, which my husband never checked, and realizing that the insurance company had dropped us. So between my 10 weeks and her three and a half weeks in the NICU, um, we had racked up over 300000 nearly $400,000 of medical debt. No deals closed. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of the worst times of my life because mm -hmm. I couldn't fix anything. Mm -hmm. And here you have a brand new baby, which is the most vulnerable Oh God, I'm going to cry talking about it. It's the most vulnerable place to be as a human is to be the mother of a new child. It's just I felt so guilty. Mm -hmm. I felt so guilty that I waited until I was in this ridiculous position to bring this child into the world. And I was like, God, like, like why now? Right? Like why now? I have, like there were so many things I didn't know it until later that I even had postpartum depression so there was mm -hmm. a big piece where I felt guilty for not liking her mm -hmm. like I just like I, I mean I know she was my baby and I prayed for her and I fought for her and you know all these things but there was a part of me that felt bitter almost because I felt like if I was not in the hospital I could have fixed this I'm mm -hmm. the fixer so I went through several months of just like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this kid? Like, who's going to take her? And it felt like after I got out of the hospital, everybody disappeared. So now I, have, I don't have the money. I'm stressed about like the money stuff, personally and professionally. I have a baby that's crying all day, every day. And she's just like, like she just looking at me and I'm looking at her. I remember one day she was crying and looking at me and I checked her and I tried to feed her and none of the things, you know, on the checklist mm -hmm. were working. And I just looked back at her and start bawling and she stopped crying to look at me cry. She was mm -hmm. like, look at this lady, like what's wrong with her? But that was even a thing, you know, like I had already felt like all of the grief from my son passing. And then now I do have a, a baby that ends up healthy after all of these things and now i i don't want the baby and i'm more concerned about trying to save my business mm -hmm. and that was very hard mm -hmm. to, to wrestle with yeah i mean i think it's really important to be honest about stuff like that because the reality is like there ha even if we know looking back that it's not the baby's fault like what the what the mind does is it creates narratives and it compares and it draws conclusions and like there's no way you could have gone through that situation and felt like n zero resentment towards this child or zero blame whether it was you know we can put it on the child or we can put it on ourselves but like exactly like if if i hadn't been pregnant if i hadn't had this kid then i would have been able to fix all of this but when you look at the story now, it's clearly like you zoom out and you look at it from this macro perspective and it's like, it could not have been more divinely 
planned and predestined. I mean, the year to the day of your son to taking your daughter home and really just, um, I mean, you look at what was happening nationally and globally as a result of that. And it's like, okay, how big is our ego that we think like, I could have fixed it. Isn't right? that crazy? <laughs> like it, it really did take me some time though, to get to that point where I could see that there was something bigger going on mm-hmm. because I, cause I always heard, especially with like personal finance stuff. I always just heard that personal finance is about personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I do believe that. Right. But there's also that piece that's like, get out, like, get out of here. There is something bigger going on. And yes, you may have been able to take different steps, but you were not going to save the global economy, like Mm -hmm. chill out. But in my 26 year old new mother, sleep deprived, you know, life completely different than what I thought it was going to be just months before. I just could not accept that. So I took everything as a personal attack and saw it as a failure, like a personal flaw. Mm -hmm. Had you created a life for yourself that was not sustainable in terms of your own um, purchases and like your home and your spending habits? Was that all unsustainable or was it like, no, it was all in alignment with what you were earning and then it just, and then it just wasn't. Yeah. So was it unsustainable? What was unsustainable were all the investment properties. That is the, that is like a big lesson I learned that if every property that I had needed to be mortgaged to the max, then I didn't really own anything. Mm -hmm. And so I could have bought less properties with more money down and had a better safeguard. Um, But we didn't because it was so easy. And like you, I got into it at 19, 20 years old. I'm, I'm qualified. So I just kept qualifying and we just kept adding them. I never lied about what I had. It was always on my credit, but I kept getting approved for more and more and more. Um, and so my, my personal home was not necessarily, not for what I was making, but the addition of so much pressure that wasn't wise. I was, I was always, before the recession, when I look back now, I was always two tenants away. Two tenants not paying, I was always going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. So when you foreclosed, when they foreclosed on your home, was it just your home or did you foreclose on all several, those properties? Several pieces, not, not all of them, no, um, but several of them. Some I was able to short sell. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple, we were able to do mortgage modifications, um, but my primary residence, yes, that was foreclosed upon along with like three others. So when you uh, left California and you moved back to Louisiana. Not and back, you, I had never lived there. Oh, you moved to Louisiana. What? What's yeah. like, why, why Louisiana? Did you have family there or was it? No, I had property there. So I had a fourplex and a duplex there and with the with the four unit building we had been sending money all along thinking that it was being rehabbed that the contractor was rehabbing it so there was hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity in that property so it was supposed to be just a short while from being done and completed so our thought was we'll go to louisiana we can live in one of the units save money right and then we can like make sure the other units get rented out and then sell it and still make some money we still did not have a concept of the fact that everything was crashing the way Mm -hmm. it was because that some of these things were like a buildup right Mm -hmm. so we still didn't truly have an understanding that it was just 
like drying up that way. So we sold everything we could on Craigslist in two days, took what we could, what would fit into this apartment that we thought we were going to take over a two bedroom apartment in one of our buildings. And, and we get there and it is trashed. All of the pictures that the contractor has sent us were not our property. So they're sending us pictures. Oh, your kitchen is in, you know, and oh, we moved this wall or we did this or. So that was like a straight con though. Like that where they were just conning you. Oh, but that, and I, and that was so prevalent after um, Hurricane Katrina. So we bought that property in 06 after Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. So that was such a big thing. But with me being in the hospital and the baby stuff and all that, my husband just hadn't gone back for months. Like the, he trusted the guy. So the guy is like emailing and, you know, they're in communication and he's thinking it's all good. Oh, I need another 2000 for this or 3000 for that. And we're, you know, okay, cool. Because this is where we're going to live. So no, I'm not going to pay the mortgage here. Cause I can't sustain that. Right. At this point, I don't know how that's going to go, but we can pay this guy and finish this stuff so we can go there and regroup and figure it out. We get there. It's basically a crack house. And you have a little tiny baby. And we have a baby. And now we have to go find an apartment. But now with our credit jacked up because we've missed mortgage payments and we've missed car payments. And now nobody wants to rent to you Mm -hmm. um, without these ridiculous deposits. And it's like, what are we supposed, like all that money that we thought bright idea will finish this property is gone. And now we're down to nothing in a brand new, in in a city where we have no friends, no family, no base, no nothing. That was our. And so it was in this, whatever apartment you got when you were in Louisiana that you describe some sort of turning point. (sighs) My come to Jesus moment. (laughs) Tell us, tell us. It was in this apartment um, where I just got fed up and I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, um, I just couldn't understand. I just couldn't understand. I couldn't understand like God, why? Like I've been a good person though. Like I did, I treated people well. I did things well. Like I did save money. We lived off savings forever, right? Like I, not forever, but for the time that we did, like I, I like I tried to do all the things. So how did I get here and why? I felt like I was being punished. This is back to like, oh, it's only about you, Mm -hmm. right? I felt like I was being punished. Like, what did I do to deserve this? This is way too much. Um, And my my husband had gone somewhere with Reagan, my daughter, and I just was in the mirror in this little bitty bathroom. And I was like, God, you got to talk to me. You have to tell me something. Like, why would you leave me out here? I hate it here. Um, Like, I just, I don't want to be here. And I start bawling and like that uncontrollable slot, like, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sobbing and snotting and ugly crying. And I ended up on the floor. I was in like fetal position. I was just, if you were my neighbor, you were probably very concerned. I was not quiet at all. I was wailing. Like I was wailing because I, I have been, I tried to be the strong one for my whole family the whole time. And I never wanted Gerald, my husband, to worry. So I always would put on this like, oh, it'll be fine. God's got us. We just need to, like, maybe we just need to do this. Oh, maybe this is the lesson. Like, you know, but all my little positive cliches are like worn out. I was like, I don't, I don't have anything left. So when I got finally by myself, I just exploded. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on that bathroom floor when, when I felt what I call the Holy Spirit say, get your Bible. And I, not far, reached over to my bed, kind of crawled over there, was on my bed um, and got my Bible. And I was, I turned, I didn't turn far. I didn't have to turn two, three, four times. I literally turned to Proverbs. It was, and I start reading and the thing that hit me, boom, it was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they had no desire to seek wisdom? And I just was like, what does that mean? Like, I just kept coming back to it. Like, I was so drawn to it. I literally read it over and over and over again. And I kind of start meditating, you know, on it, just like, what does this mean? And, and one of the things that came to me was that I really had thought that my smarts would be enough. I always thought being smart, proving that I was smart, the degrees, the certification, the licenses, the, oh, I passed on the first try. I always thought that that would be enough. And that was one of the first times it hit me that knowledge and wisdom are two different things. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can Google yourself to death. You know, many people have Google degrees from Google University these days, and yet they have no wisdom, which is the application of knowledge. And when I, I realized too in that moment in seeking wisdom, that one of the things that really came to me is that I didn't know how to ask for help. Because in all of this that had gone on, I really hadn't told anybody. I hadn't, I hadn't asked for any help. I hadn't asked for support. I never asked the mortgage brokers who were packed and they were older than me. They had been in the game 20 years, 30 years. You know, I used to chat with them coming in to the office building and stuff. I never stopped to say like, but so why are you leaving? Mm-hmm. Like what, like, what are you seeing that I may not be seeing? I didn't even have the mindset to to do something like that. I never you know, had official mentors or coaches or invested in any of that type of stuff. I didn't see a point because I was smart. <laughs> I am the coach, right? Uh-huh. So I just, I just never got it. And that was one of the things that hit me too. Like, you don't do a good job seeking wisdom. You'd rather suffer in silence than say, can you help me? And that's not going to work. Oh, girl, stop calling me out. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> like mm, convicted. Um, were you never angry at God? Man, I would have been, I feel like I would have been pissed. And you just, I feel like you're, you're even holding the faith through the entire dissolution of everything. And still trusting that God loved you, that God had a plan for you, that this was part of it. Like, I feel like I would have been like, well, you're just going to leave me out here in Louisiana. <laughs> like, um, I mean, even when I had that, that bathroom moment though, I wasn't angry. I don't, I don't think I would call it anger, but I was just confused. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm doing the things, right? Like I'm still reading my word. Like I'm still trying to do the things. I did feel like, where are you? Like, am I not hearing you? Am I missing something? Literally, when I was in the bathroom, I was like, you need to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to, I need to hear something like today. Like I was mm-hmm. demanding. And even to this day, when things happen, I, it's not like a, oh, Jesus, oh, Father. Like, at this point, my relationship is like, yo, yes. what is this? Yes. Like, get this This is done. so important, Patrice. <laughs> you, th- please, please talk to people about this because- coming 
into prayer from a position of authority is really important. And it's something that so many people miss. Whatever faith tradition you're in, whatever you call God, you say source, spirit, universe, whatever, there's this, there's this very real thing that so many people miss, which is you are co-creating with yeah. the creator of the universe. And you have the right as a child of God to say, hey, daddy <laughs> or mommy, whatever you want to call God. This but, isn't is that, but that's that's what having a relationship is. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're yeah. married or with your, with your siblings or whatever, you have those moments of tension where you're like, hey, hello, yeah. what's going on here? I think that that is the sign of a genuine relationship. Mm -hmm. If I, if, if it's only this, this idea of complete meekness and always brokenness, like then I'm also not standing in the image cause mm -hmm. it, like standing in his image. Cause Jesus was a thug as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Right. Like <laughs> if I'm here to emulate Jesus, like, yes, he was about his father's business, but he was also like, up, like he was about it like you could tell mm -hmm. if you read well, the he was a radical liberal revolutionary who was like speaking up for all of the people right. who are oppressed and who is actually preaching egalitarianism and like true equality which was like right. not a thing in the day at all yeah so, he so was, what type of spirit do you have to possess right like mm -hmm. in order to be that revolutionary like mm -hmm. what you have to have some type of authority and i think i think one we're human and god knows we're human and he expects us to have emotions because he mm -hmm. built them in us like mm -hmm. so it's not to be like huh like you know but i it's not that i was i don't again i don't think i was ever straight up angry but i was about it in some mm -hmm. prayer time i was like look today though like i need a sign in 24 hours it can't be wishy-washy mm -hmm. i can't think about oh was this really you i needed to come till this day i'm like and i don't need it to come from someone i know if this is you you're gonna send someone who doesn't know me and it's impossible that they would be able to tell me this or whatever mm -hmm. and then i'm and then i'll move forward mm -hmm. like that's how i talk to god mm -hmm. and you know what happens i get the signs that i need and I move <laughs> forward <laughs> I, I, you know, I truly believe that, but, but even in that time when it was a very hard, hard, hard time, I think more than anything, what I'm grateful for is that even like when it would get down to the point where I'm at the welfare office and I'm trying to apply for food stamps in Metairie, Louisiana, and they ask you a question about like your income, like from the previous year or something. And I'm, I don't want to write it because the previous year, that was a good income. I'm like, well, they're mm -hmm. going to find it anyway. Like, aren't all these things connected somehow? Mm -hmm. But I start bawling in there and telling the woman, I was like, but I, like this, I can't because you're going to think, and I don't have that today though, right? And I'm like going back and forth with her and I start crying again. And the lady is like, hey, calm down. Mm -hmm. Like, did you pay taxes last year? Yes. Did you pay taxes the year before? Yes. Then you deserve this. Mm -hmm. Like this is here to help you. You, no one is saying that you're going to have to do this forever. Like, I feel like all along the way, when I was having my little breakdowns, there were people who were planted as angels mm -hmm. and they, and they were believers too. 
not just people saying random things they would they would say little things that probably would really be inappropriate for them to say on their job mm -hmm. they would like people would say things to me that would be like okay i i know that god is here because of you so even when i'm tempted to be like oh you're just gonna leave me out here there was someone along every step of the way that made me feel like i i got you mm -hmm. i got you through this person Mm -hmm. and through this person and through this opportunity um but man was that freaking hard mm -hmm. i think it's so beautiful like i get you know for me like holy spirit i get chills all over my whole body and i had chills as you were describing those earth angels because i believe when we ask to be used god uses us as angels for each other all the time and you've you've been it for people and i've been it for people and people have been it for you um, and I think that one of the things that I'm most struck by, because I personally really struggled with it, is the fact that it doesn't seem like you ever really went through that concern around like spiritual inferiority or like, I'm not good enough, or what if God actually doesn't want to help me, which is something that for me, that was like one of my biggest blocks in my path of, of like really inviting restoration mm. in my life was was feeling like i don't deserve this you know what i mean and i felt like there was this block that would keep my prayers from growing going up and um and it's just amazing to me because in the face of all of that adversity you kept the faith and maybe you were shaking pennies out of your purse but you collected them and you built them into the wealth that you have today in so many different forms, material wealth, but, but by your definition of wealth as overall well-being, you know, the woman that I've seen speak on stage and sat next to at lunch and, and just, I felt your presence, Patrice, and you are, um, you are really, really powerful woman who embodies divinity like god is with you and you can feel it when you meet you you know um and it's so it's so inspiring and i know that there's people right now who are listening who are like i'm shaking pennies man i don't even have two pennies to shake you know what i mean my bank account is overdrawn and the collectors are calling me all day every day and and i i get emotional talking about it because i was i was there i had a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt i was sleeping with older wealthy men to have enough money to pay my bills and not paying them. I was, you know, spending the money on cocaine and alcohol and, and just, um, and just literally if God hadn't showed up in my life, I would be dead and dead with a lot of debt. You know what I mean? But I, I was given this huge amount of grace and, um, and so were you. And, and so it's available for every single person out there. Grace is available. It is free and asking for it. And I don't mean saying, Hey God, can you please come in and pay off my hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt? Because that was, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that, you're probably missing the mark on that, but asking for help from people yeah but also just asking like asking for help was that part of your when oh, you we yeah. said that prayer and you got that word you got that scripture and that didn't change that day but then what happened no, no. you know what started happening 
See, the thing is, I think sometimes we ask for help and then we are very committed to where the help has to come from. Mm -hmm. And I learned to ask for help and accept where it came from. Mm -hmm. So I got in the habit of like talking to people, strangers, now a bit differently at Starbucks or in the line at the grocery store or wherever. And talking to people and saying stuff like, you know, if I, if I struck up a conversation and they seemed like open or cool, I'd be like, well, you know, this is, this is what I'd like to do. But honestly, I just, you know, I'm in this season right now. And that was the other thing too. I always called it a season. Mm -hmm. I never made it a final thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I'd be there forever, but I would always express that it was a season. And I would say, you know, so I'm in this season where I really feel like God is calling me to share like this message. And I can't tell you how many people may look at me like I was a dragon, like, what are you talking about? So I have to like start like using better discernment on when it was okay to open up. But there was a part of that where I would just be like, I really want to go to churches and talk to people um, about what the Bible says about money. Mm -hmm. Like, and use Proverbs and different scriptures. And people would either be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Or they would be like, oh, you should, um, have you heard of so-and-so? They do that. I'm like, no, I've never heard of this person. So now I'm writing people down and I'm Googling them and I'm looking them up. And God is showing me through this person who I was open enough to say, here's what I'm thinking. This is what I think God has put on my heart. And then that person goes, oh, you should look up so-and-so. Have you heard of them? Oh, okay, I go look them up. They're a real person. And they are doing what I want to do. Not on a Dave Ramsey level, mm -hmm. not on a Susie Orman, like a local woman in Louisiana, mm -hmm. a random guy in Georgia. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing. I can do that then. Like that, that alone was like, if it, if, if it can happen for them, it can happen for me. So here, I want to stop you right there. So this was while you were currently experiencing like not having a lot of money. I was in that apartment in Metairie, Louisiana. And I was in that apartment. I don't want you to think that I was there for a month. I was there for like a year. Yeah. So this is what I think is what I really want to make sure that people hear is it is so important to let your vision be bigger than your circumstances. You cannot allow your environment, the current dollar amount in your bank account to be the determiners of what is available for you, what is possible for you. So for you to be able to still show up through that period and know there is, there is something, there's a seed of a future opportunity for me in this struggle. And it's my, it's my privilege to figure out what that is so that I can serve people from this. Like, yeah that that perspective i think is probably one of the biggest factors in your success because so many people like you said it was a season for you it was not this terrible thing happened to me and now here i am and now i'll just sit here and wait until god I, fixes it i will say you know a lot of what i talk about are redefining wealth you know one of the pillars is is faith and mm -hmm. so I, I talk a lot about, you know, if you say you believe something, make time for it. Like that's not a new concept, right? So even when I was building that first business and yes, there may have been a million things I could have done differently. One of the things that I did that has always been consistent is make time for my faith practice. And I really believe that that's why, like, I think so often 
you know, we try to figure out what we believe, who we believe, how we believe in the midst of a crisis. And so I think my spirit was, was prepared well before the crisis presented itself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because so, so I think that's why when you ask, like, was I angry or did I ever feel like, oh, it wasn't available to me? I did. I didn't. But I really believe it's because for so many years and, and not because I was perfect because I was a wretch. Right. Like still am. Like I had all kind of challenges. Right. Uh-huh. But I was consistent about my prayer life. I was consistent about reading my word, even though I didn't do everything I read in the word, but I would mm-hmm. read it. Right. And I was consistent about going to church. I was consistent about being in these church groups. And sometimes I don't think that we recognize how important it is to just stay ready so we don't have to get ready, you know, like, because it, it wasn't a matter of if something was going to happen, it was when, and I think just because of the, the teaching I had early on in my, um, in my faith walk, like my early college years, I, I kind of was just always preparing, if that makes, like, always kind of like, knowing that this was warfare and that I, not, I needed to get ready. I know I didn't know it was going to happen that way. That was not how I anticipated anything going down. And even through other things that happened along the way, I think a part of why I could manage them the way that I did is because my faith was the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was on that bathroom floor, the only thought I had after like, okay, well, you've been a fool, right? Like you thought knowledge was wisdom. You're not the same. Um, and you need to ask for help. The only other thought I had was like, God, if you restore me, you know, people correct me now and they say, no, you should have said when. Okay, I'm telling you what I said. Okay, I said, God, if you restore me, I will go everywhere I can and share this with people. Mm-hmm. And so that was me doing that randomly in the grocery store with very random people who I, you know, befriended in a long checkout line or in Starbucks or finding these little networking events in the city and going to things and saying, and I didn't have copywriting and I didn't have some course to teach me what to say or how to say it. I was literally just sharing what was on my heart, which was, I think I'm supposed to share with people like financial principles from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm going to like write a book one day or something I just started this blog and I would just tell people Mm -hmm. and not every person, but definitely angels along the way would give me what I call God winks and those winks, those little nuggets of information would be just enough to dangle the carrot. Mm -hmm. It would be just enough to keep me on the path of purpose, Mm -hmm. like to go, okay, let me go research that. Let me find that. Okay. I'm going to go here. Maybe I should email this person. Maybe I should do that. And when I ended up leaving New Orleans and moving to Atlanta, it wasn't a real move. I was supposed to be staying with my brother to help him with his kids, you know, that for a week or two. And that second week that I was there, I kept getting the winks. Like I kept meeting, you know, people or having these experiences. And I called my husband and I was like, what would you think about moving to Georgia? And he's like, oh, I think that'd be cool. We can talk about it when you get back. And I was like, actually, I was thinking I should stay. And if you just send me my box, is <laughs> Reagan and I will stay. And he's like, what? Like, that was not the plan. But that $59 ticket on Delta, one way, I never had a ticket back. I only had the $59 to get a ticket to get there. I never had the money to get back. And I never went back. Literally, I slept on my brother's couch for three months. Um, and so my husband, um, 
on. And he slept on the couch with us for like another month or so until we could get an apartment. Mm-hmm. So when I was on that couch though, the only thing that I knew was that I had to keep following that nudge. And I reached out to all of these financial education nonprofits so that I could volunteer. Mm-hmm. And out of like five or six places I reached out to over and over and over again, not once, like several times, only two responded. And I ended up being a volunteer for two of them. And then one of them ended up offering me a job like a year later. Um, they kind of created this position and it, it felt like it was exactly what I felt like I was being called to do. Like they mm-hmm. made a job out of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, people really do get paid for this. And I got a job doing that for like a year. So during that whole period, did you get another job? Did you like go work at Starbucks or like you just, you knew that there was something purpose for you and you followed it? Yep. My husband got a job at Taco Bell. Shut the front door. Yep. My husband got a job at Taco Bell. He worked there for about 16 months so that we would have health insurance. So he was in New Orleans. That's why he couldn't come when we were first on the couch. Mm -hmm. He ended up transferring to Kennesaw, Georgia, which was like an hour away from my brother lived. Um, And no, I took a bunch of odd jobs. So what I had discovered within that time was bartering (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and like doing like odd jobs. So for example, um, I wanted to go keep volunteering and doing these networking things, but I was like, girl, your eyebrows, your hair, like your nails, you got to look like, (laughs) like they should let you in the door. You're out here looking rough. So there was a, um, so someone I knew, I told them what I was trying to do and What I had also learned was that I needed to embrace the fact that even though all my money was gone, my mind wasn't bad. Like I still, I still knew what I knew. Mm -hmm. I couldn't fully apply it because of my own financial circumstances. And um, someone hooked me up, another guy with a woman who owned a salon and she needed a a office manager type of thing. Someone to just help like get all the W-2s and like, you know, Mm -hmm. organize everything. I'm like, oh, well, boom, I did that for my office. Like, I know exactly, you know, what to do. And she didn't really have the money because she just built this on. Um, But she was like, you can get your hair done like once a week. You can get your nails done every other week. You can get your eyebrows. I was like, oh, and I I only had to go in twice a week. I was like, no brainer. Yeah. Uh Like she's going to basically pay for my grooming so that I can keep going out and like trying to talk to people and not be intimidated, like, Mm -hmm. you know, by not looking the part. And then another, another person I was talking to, they're like, oh, I know someone, you know, who needs something. And they, their budget was only $500 every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I shared one car. And from where we ended up getting our first apartment, that job, that office job was maybe 10 minutes away. We didn't know anyone here either besides my brother. Um, And so my brother's childhood friend's mom had moved here, but she lived an hour outside the city in another direction. So I would leave, for those of you who are listening from Georgia, picture this, I would leave Sandy Springs, take my husband to Kennesaw, Georgia, to drop him off at Taco Bell in the morning and then drive my daughter down to Powder Springs, Georgia, which was like 40 minutes or 35, 40 minutes south of there, only to come back to Buckhead, Georgia, which was 10 minutes away from where I started. So every morning I had to be at work by eight o'clock 
my husband didn't even have to be at work at nine, but to start this and do this whole thing, we would have to leave at like 5.30. I would drop him off and he would sit at the Arby's across the street from the Taco Bell that he worked at and just read mm-hmm. or occupy him his time mm-hmm. until it was time for him to go to work. And then in the night, I would do that same thing, fight all the, the Atlanta traffic, which was bad back then too, mm-hmm. and do this whole route of picking everyone up. So every day I drove almost like four and a half, five hours to make $500 every two weeks. So I just want to give people some perspective on this. So during the most challenging period, the period where you felt like you had the most scarcity, what was, what was your annual income? The year everything fell apart. The, the year everything fell apart or the year after, like at the lowest year after. Oh yeah. Um, my annual income was about $16,000. Okay. So slightly above the poverty line, poverty line is like round 12. And, and if you're comfortable sharing it, what was your annual income last year? This past year? Yeah. Or like 2019 year to date, if you could throw an estimate at us. Um, household about 1.6. Woo! <laughs> Good for you. And that is amazing. Like, can we just have a moment? If where you are right now is working at Taco Bell, not working at all on government assistance, scraping these two pennies together, your life can look completely different than it looks today. I promise you. Like, take it from this woman's testimony. It can be completely different than it is today. Um, So Patrice, that massive shift, you now teach and credit it to redefining wealth in your life. Yeah. So this redefinition of wealth in accordance with its original meaning, which is well-being, um, you have some pillars that you teach people about, and I know we're, we're, we're short on time, so we can't go deep into them, but I think that they really helped me shift my perspective. Um, I heard you speak on these at uh, a conference at Confidence Activated last, last summer, and I have them here in my little notebook, and I've returned back to them multiple times to check in because the order of them, I think, was really impactful for me. Um, Are you willing to share those, run through those with us? Yeah, yeah, I can run through it. And I'm glad that you mentioned the order because, you know, I have a lot of faith-filled people that follow me and they're always like, faith should be first. And I'm like, no, I know faith-filled people like to pray about it, set it and forget it and then not do the work. So it's intentional the way that it's set up. But the fifth pillar is first. Um, That's about becoming your best self. And the fit pillar is about being physically fit and mentally fit. It's not about a dress size. It's about any of those things it's about understanding that if god has given you a vision for your life it's your responsibility and your duty to protect the only vessel you get yeah Men- plus if you're like yeah. sick and dying you're going to be really struggling to like do anything with yourself yeah. or yeah. if you're just sick like emotionally and mentally sick everybody can relate to that how it feels to just be in that funk and like not be able to make anything happen because you're yeah. in such a low vibration in such a low state. I think that was what really impacted me is that fit was first because I was like, Oh, as I've tried to create success as an entrepreneur, I've backburnered taking care of my 
health and wellness, which was literally why I started my business. I broke my back in a surfing accident. I realized I never wanted to do anything except for move and empower, empower women through movement to, to, to experience life in a different way. And I built a business around surfing and stand up paddleboarding and yoga. That's how I, and then that turned into a multi six figure business in yoga, but I lost it. I lost the connection with being outdoors, being in my body, breathing, moving, sweating, because I was like, oh, I got to sit in front of this computer all day and, uh, you know, do funnels and make, um, make that do, money. I got to make the money. Yeah. We do it in the name of like, you know, in the name of wealth, wealth building. And mm -hmm. I'm like, but you cannot forsake well-being. You cannot forsake taking care of yourself. What, what good are what good is the paycheck if you're spending it on prescriptions you can't pronounce? Mm -hmm. like, well, and I look at like my dad and my father-in-law both worked themselves to the bone. They both worked so hard. And then they, you know, around 60 years old, both um, retired. My father had advanced stage liver disease. My father-in-law had colon cancer and they both died within two years of retirement. And it's like, okay, is that what you want to experience? Like, you, you can leave a pile of money behind or not. You leave a pile of debt behind either way. It's like, did you live while you were alive? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, that's why fit is first. That's like the big thing I, I try to get people to see. And if that mentally, if the, if the mental fitness is not there, we tend to self-sabotage whatever success comes our way anyway. Mm -hmm. When you say mental fitness, what's like one or two things that people can do to cultivate mental fitness? Well, I, I have to live by the, the first thing that I had to do was go to therapy, like mm -hmm. straight up, because I didn't have the capacity to deal with my childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was trauma. I thought it, I had normalized it. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that happened in my childhood that if I didn't deal with those things, there would be no way that I could be the woman that I am today. I just wouldn't have the capacity. I wouldn't have the tools. I wouldn't have the resources to be able to do it. Um, so for me, that's one. And another thing that's just been really good for me is just like mantras and affirmations, like trying to reprogram, you know, all the negative things that kind of naturally come up because that's the background that I come from reprogramming, reprogramming that with what I wanted. When my husband and I were in New Orleans, the thing that, that got us through people used to laugh at us when we would see Range Rovers or nice houses or different things. We'd be like, been there, done that on the way back. Mm -hmm. We would say that every day, multiple times a day. Oh, been there, done that on the way back because that reinforced that it was the season. Mm -hmm. I keep saying I'm on the way back. My mind has nothing left to do but help me find the way back. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, really big on words. I believe what you verbalize, you magnify. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone who's hearing that, and maybe you've heard it before, maybe you've heard it before 10,000 times, but you haven't put it into application yet in your life. I dare you to try it. I dare you to set some reminders on your phone. And, and when they pop up, speak them out loud. I dare you to notice the negative thoughts that you have on repeat. You have been conditioned into them, just like Patrice said, whether it was by your family or by authority figures or by the media, we've all been conditioned into subconscious programming that tells us, I can't have that. I'm not good enough. My desire is, you know, shameful. I'm not, um, it's not for me, whatever it is. But I'm, I have also experienced the power of words. Like we can speak life into ourselves, into other people. I mean, just last year, my husband, my husband's a disabled veteran. 
his back was so bad. He had neuropathy, drop feet in both feet, couldn't walk, barely could get out of bed, 36 years old. And, um, and I set an affirmation. My husband's back is healthy and strong. And I would say it every day, 20 times a day, 30 times a day. And I would visualize how good it was going to feel watching him, you know, pick up our son and play with him. And it was like, you know, the success rate of the surgery that he ended up having after we tried every other option was, they said, you know, there's a, um, like a 35% chance that, um, you'll have a full recovery and you'll be in good shape again. And we're like, okay, 35%, that's 35%. You know what I mean? That's by the way, not a passing grade, right? (laughs) Not the greatest odds. Um, but to this day, like his back's fully recovered, he's surfing. And I still have the affirmation on my phone. It's like popped up there right now that says my husband's back is healthy and strong. And I still read it every day. Um, but I love that Uh, looking at your wounds was one thing you said. So addressing your trauma Um, and trauma, you know, if you don't relate to that word, it's just any unwanted or unpleasant emotions that we have stored in the body and in our nervous system. So if you, you know, are like, oh, I don't have any trauma because I wasn't abused or I didn't, you know, get bit by a shark or whatever, you probably still have trauma. So go ahead and take a look at that. (laughs) Um, and then the power of words. So I love those two tips for being mentally fit. Your second pillar is, um, is people and so that also comes before faith. So why do you feel like people are an important part of wealth? It goes back to what we said earlier about the earth angels. Like mm-hmm. I'm very clear that I would not be where I am or who I, not who I am without people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes um, we get so caught up in the wealth building process that we forsake relationships all around like I see people all the time that are trying to get to the person who they see as the influencer or the the this or I must be near them and it's like do you know how many amazing people are right around you who would love to support you but you may not be nice you may not be kind you may not value that relationship you may not be you know really seeing what's just right in front of you and I always say that there's always someone watching you who has power to bless you, but who are they watching you be? Mm -hmm. How are they watching you show up? And I believe that the opportunities I've received are not because I'm the best speaker, although I really appreciated what you said. Mm, You're pretty good at it. (laughs) You know, but not because I'm the best speaker. I'm not the best podcaster. I'm not, you know, the best, you know, at any of these things. I'm learning and growing alongside everyone else, but um I'm one of the nicest I'm one of the most consistent I don't care if you're the janitor or the CEO I'm going to talk to you I'm going to value you I'm going to make sure that you feel seen and heard and respected and loved at least while you're in my presence right and it's not because I have a desire to get something from the person I'm having the interaction with but I have been so blessed by so many other people not for anything I did directly for them but I believe it's a byproduct of what I put out in the world and um, people, people matter, and and not just professionally, but also personally. Because I got to a point where I was building this America's Money Maven thing, and I had started to really gain some traction by like 2014. Mm-hmm. I really started to gain some traction, and I was on tour, and I was doing all the speaking. And I came home one day, and uh, I was on a Sunday, and I, my daughter was trying to tell me a story. She was about seven years old by then. And she was like, "Um, Miss Angela. She kept calling me Miss Angela. That was the nanny's name. 
Mm. Every time she got excited about something or wanted to share a secret or her little moment, she would go to Miss Angela and knock to me. Mm -hmm. And that broke my heart because here I am saying publicly, oh, I'm doing this for my daughter. She's my why. And my daughter is like, as far as I'm concerned, you never hear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what good is building this business if the, the daughter that I'm saying I did this for, the one that I was on bed rest, you know, praying to God every day to have for 10 weeks on just on bed rest, right? Mm-hmm. Three weeks while she was in the NICU. What good is it if she doesn't know? What good is it if your little girl out and about in the world who think I'm awesome and my daughter is kind of like, meh, I can take you or leave you because you don't know my friends and you don't know my secrets and mm-hmm. you don't know my special stories. Mm-hmm. So I took a step back from business for almost a year from mm-hmm. traveling um, to rebuild my relationship with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And now, four and a half, five years later, she is like my best little buddy. I try to not tell her she's my best friend because I don't want her to think mm-hmm. she's 38. But <laughs> <laughs> um, that, was, that was so good because now I just came off of nine weeks of nonstop travel. But now it's such a different relationship because when I'm home, I'm present. I don't confuse being physically present with being present. Mm -hmm. So she has my attention. She has my devotion. She knows. And so I can go out and be on the stage and be who I'm called to be because I have no reason to believe that anybody in my home is bitter about me being there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now when I saw you speak on this, you said, um, you know, check yourself. Are you a public success? and a private failure. And I wrote it down in my journal because, and I put in quotes, mom, put your phone down, Mm. which is what my three-year-old, when he was two, he was saying to me, mom, mom, put your phone down. And it, I was punched in the gut when I heard you speak about this. And I was so grateful for that conviction because I was like, oh, thank God I have the opportunity to shift this right now to shift this while my son is not even three at the time. And, um, and you know, one of the first things I said when I introduced you is that I was most impacted by your presence because not just when you were on the stage, but after you were on the stage, when you're speaking to people in the audience, when you're speaking to people sitting down at a meal, you are with the person that you're with and you see them. And that is such a, I wish it weren't as rare as it is, um, but as I, you know, kind of played the influencer game and did the social media thing and built a name in the yoga industry, I can't tell you how many times I would be at a conference or be at an influencer event and somebody would come up and say, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you? And I would say, I'm Amelia, it's nice to meet you. And they'd say, oh, what's your, um, what's your Instagram? <laughs> like, and I'd be like, it's whatever. And watch people go, oh, okay, I'm going to follow you and follow and assess in that moment. Are you as important as other people in this room or are you less important? And then, and then make their decision on whether we are going to continue having a conversation based on that. And sometimes it was a yes. And sometimes it was a no. And either way, I was like, I'm good. I'm done with the conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, but that is why, you know, beyond, beyond even the message that you share beyond, um, you know, any fame or celebrity or notoriety that you have. The reason I was so excited to interview you is because of your presence and because of what my spirit and my heart feel when I'm listening to you, watching you with you. And I'm like, that's what people, that's what people remember, you know? Um, 
people will remember how you made them feel. Maya Angelou, right? Yeah, Yeah, like they'll they'll forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And that was very, very true for us. Um, So, okay, pillar three, because I know we got to run through them. Pillar three is space. Space. (laughs) Space, it's about setting up your life to support you. And I think it's one of the most overlooked uh, concepts when people are looking to build wealth or create success for themselves. Um, at some of the times when it did not make sense for me to be so uh, concerned about my space, I invested in it. <laughs> like, I always invest in making sure that my space is in, one, that the energy is right, that I feel calm, that I feel good, that I'm clear of clutter, and that I can actually think and create and just have a space for peace. Um, like, and I know we don't have time, but I'll take you back to that uh, little apartment in Metairie. Mm-hmm. There was one point where inside of like this little stuffed animal type of thing for my daughter's um, baby shower, there was like a gift card for Target. Mm-hmm. Now, we did not really have money. We did not have money. Mm-hmm. Scraping or change. But that gift card, it was like $25. I ended up going to Target to get things to make our bathroom better. I got a little rug, a little red rug. I think it was, it was like, it was like a red and black theme I had going because it was the stuff on clearance. But I got the shower curtain and the little liner and the, and a little thing that contained all of our products and stuff because the bathroom was so small and everything being everywhere was driving me nuts. And I couldn't think like, uh, like back to that, being able to think, even think your way out of, I could not do it. So I spent the $25 gift card on, cleaning up the bathroom and getting our space together. Mm-hmm. When I had that moment on the bathroom floor, it was about two or three days after I had gone to Target. And I don't care what anyone says. I was able to have that moment in that nice clean bathroom <laughs> <laughs> where God could get to me. Because um, other than that, I wouldn't have been in the bathroom because it was driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. And the way I got to that point was being in the bathroom and feeling like that was the only space in that place that I could have this experience and cry out to God. And so for me, space has always been really, really important. And I don't think people understand how much energy gets stuck in the clutter. We say clutter is a manifestation of chaos in your mind. And whenever I am feeling stuck in any area of my life, I truly, you know, my first thing is like, what do I need to clean up? What's Mm -hmm. going on? Where's the bottleneck here? My energy is just, is being you know, tied up in something that doesn't deserve it. And I need, I need to let things go. So I clean up. Mm -hmm. When I heard you speak on this, once again, I was convicted because you were like, want you to be honest with yourself right now. Like, what does your car look like? Like, is the inside of your car clean? Or is there a bunch of, you know, food wrappers and like nasty old stuff around there? And if that's how you're treating your space, like, how is that possibly a reflection of your, your inner environment, right? And I was like, oh, you know, I want to use the excuse that I have a toddler, but yeah, there's Cheerios ground into my backseat, <laughs> and there's yoga mats in the back, and there's like water bottles and all this stuff. And I came home after that, and I was like, okay, this cleansing for abundance thing, I don't really know if this is real, but I'm going to try it. And I came into this room, which is my office. And I cleaned out the entire closet and I, I cleaned, like deep cleaned everything and reorganized everything, brought plants in here. And 
this space, I used to have a beautiful office that I paid for outside of the home that was, you know, really a lovely space, but I never, I never did that to it. Like I never brought the energy in and I really struggled to, to be successful when I was working in that space. And I was so resistant to this home office because I was like, you guys can't be knocking on my door. Like when I'm at work, I'm at work, you know what I mean? And it's not going to work out. And, and I have made more money and helped more people serve more people from this office than anywhere else I've ever been. And it's my favorite place. It is my sacred space. Like this is where I come for prayer. This is where I come for meditation. This is where I make my art. This is where I, you know, create, this is where I coach. And it's like the energy of this room, best room in the house. It, you can just feel it when you walk in. People tell me that. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So I will say like, if you're skeptical about this, just give it a shot. Like you don't have to go full Marie Kondo on it. Like if you, you know, you're like, I'm not trying to spark joy. I just want like some abundance, but like really go through your things and ask, you know, do I need this? Could this bless somebody else? Make some space. If you want an influx of energy or an influx of money or an influx of of clients, like, do you have room for them? Do you or have- are there Cheerios everywhere? <laughs> you have room. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And so then we come to faith. Then we come to faith. So we have, we have fit, we have people, we have space, and then we come to faith. And we've talked a bit about that, but why? So for people who maybe don't even, they don't identify as a believer, maybe they don't, ident- they don't believe in anything. They're agnostic or atheist or whatever. What is faith? Why is it important? Um, for me, faith is about believing in something greater. And my idea that everything that I've experienced, and things are especially not going well, that I call it a season, mm-hmm. teaching me to believe in something greater or me believing in something greater means that I understand that this is not forever. Like my faith has taught me that this, this something may have come to teach me a lesson, but it's not going to be here forever. I need to do my work and learn the lesson and freaking move on. Right. And because I have that to hold on to, I see it as understanding that this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. There's a greater purpose. There's something that's supposed to come out of this experience. I don't know if it's something I'm supposed to share with one person or if I'm supposed to share it with many on the stage at this point, I just know there's something here. And so it makes me not feel like it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, my superpower, I feel like is resilience and resilience for me comes from faith. It comes from understanding that I can get knocked down 10 times. I'm going to get up 11. Like, I'm just going to keep getting up because as long as there's breath in my body, there's a greater purpose for my life. And I just have to keep getting up and trying. Not that I jump up, you know, at the same rate, you know, I'm getting older. Maybe I don't jump up as quickly as I used to. I don't know, but, but that I can get up. And that there's going to be those earth angels and the wild wings that'll guide me if I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I truly, Steve Harvey taught me this years ago, you don't get what you want, you get what you believe. And I feel at this point that if you believe in absolutely nothing, then it's going to be really easy to fall for many of the things that life will throw at you. Because some things, they're meant to teach you a lesson. They're not meant to take you out for life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think when you don't have something to lean into, you don't see the fine line. Like you don't see that it doesn't have to be catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think there's, there's always something we can have faith in, whether your faith is in humanity or whether your faith is in love, like the energy of love. I think everybody pretty much can get down with that one, no matter if you don't identify with the word God or whatever. But if you've ever loved anyone, like, and if you've ever been received love in return, that energy is bigger than you. And you know that, you know, and you something greater. You start there, start there. Um, I always tell people too, Amelia, just so we're clear too. I always tell people like, I'm not here to convert you into mm-hmm. Christianity. Like, I really don't care what you believe. I just want you, if you say you believe in it, to make time to practice it. Mm-hmm. Like make time to feel it, make time to make time or make it a part of your actual life. Mm-hmm. Like it can't be something that you only step into when things are not going your way. And I think that the reason times are are so much harder for some than others is because you're you're in the midst of trying to figure out what you believe when you're in it. You already have the grief and the, you know, the pain, the guilt, the embarrassment, the trauma of what's already happening. If you're also trying to figure out, well, what do I believe? I'm usually leaning into what I already know I believe. And now like I'm pulling out those those lessons to help me get through right Mm -hmm. um so if you say you believe in it make time Mm -hmm. make it a part of your life that's good and then your last two are work and money work and money come last yeah yeah you're like yeah those are just so when you say work um one of the things that you said that really impacted me is you said if you're unfulfilled in your life's purpose you'll lean towards mismanaging your finances. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? That you won't know how to set your priorities. So when you are unfulfilled it, there's like this gaping hole right in your heart where most people try to fill the hole. They don't quite know what it is. Why do I feel like this? Why am I just not satisfied? Why do I feel ho-hum all the time? Why do I hate these people? (laughs) Like, why do I dread coming here? Why do I dread this? There's this hole. And a lot of us think that the hole will be filled with the stuff we can buy on payday. So I'm going to go buy the latest and the greatest, or I'm going to move to the best neighborhood, or I'm going to get the best car. I'm going to do all these things, but the hole never gets filled. And for most people, it's because you're doing work. You're spending most of your time every week involved in activities that have nothing to do with your assignment here on earth. Mm -hmm. It was a paycheck and perhaps a season that you may have let go on too long. Like I'm down for, you know, I told you I bartered. I worked at the beauty salon, right? But I had to know when that season was up so that I could continue to pursue purpose. Mm -hmm. Because if I stayed there, and I actually did not like the woman I was working for, (laughs) but had I stayed there just to continue to barter or just to continue, you know, when I did start getting paid a couple hundred bucks the other week or something, if I was more committed to that than the purpose that God put on my heart, like... All I would have done was spend every penny on trying to make myself feel better about being in a place where I was being tolerated and not celebrated, right? For who Mm -hmm. I truly am. And so understanding that helped me set my priorities. And so, you know, again, not popular opinion, but when I probably should have been trying to pay off more debt, I was like trying to build a website. Mm -hmm. 
I was trying to get my first like headshots and look mm-hmm. like a professional. Like I, my priority was pursuing that purpose. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, consuming myself with the debt that I was facing. I just kept mm-hmm. saying, when I get this together, I'll just pay off the debt. But if mm-hmm. I only pay off the debt, then I'll never be able to be purposeful. So mm-hmm. who wins there? I might as well go this route first. And it's not that I'm saying neglect your debt and only, but I was able to prioritize. So my days did not start with, oh my God, my debt, my debt, my debt. My day started with like, how do I take the next best step? Um, and here I am. I mean, the debt's gone. And I also, you know, um, have built what I built. So I made purpose the priority. I I wanted I want you guys to go and subscribe to Patrice's podcast um, and go follow her on social media and I'll give you those links in a minute. But I know that a lot of you who are listening right now are hearing that and you're going, but I don't know what my purpose is and how do I figure out my purpose? And this is something where I think that you share a lot of content that can help people with that. So if that's you listening right now, just know. I know that that's what you're thinking and, and there, there are ways to uncover your purpose. And if you're in that, if you're in that season right now where you're feeling like maybe there isn't one for you, um, you just, you know, keep asking, keep showing up with that intention, um, and ask to be, to be guided into, into that realization ask to serve other people because there is a purpose for each of us. And for me, Patrice, when I heard you say that, um, I again realized like, oh, okay, this is a pattern in my life of mismanaging my finances out of a desire to either not feel what I'm feeling. And so I'm going to buy this thing or, um, or just, you know, trying to be somebody else rather than trying to stay in my lane and do what I'm called to do. Um, and that can, can often lead us astray. Um, and then very last is money. So you say, you know, money is about, really not the amount that you have, but checking in with whether or not you're making wise choices with what you do have. And for Black Friday, which just passed, you know, a a little while ago, I saw you talking about, yeah, I saw you um, saying really check in, like, should you be spending the money on this or not? Just because it's there and you can doesn't mean do it. Right. Right. Um, So what do you think is the most important thing for people to be aware of around their money? That none of pick just one <laughs> one of the challenges that they're having with money is about money it's it's often rooted in one of the other pillars mm-hmm. it all and it all just comes back to it like how we manage our money is usually a direct reflection of something that is going on there's an unfulfillment um in one of these other areas and truly if you address that the money and start to work itself out. The money starts to work itself out because I truly believe that you don't have to be Dave Ramsey to have financial success. Like it doesn't take being a rocket scientist, you know, like the, the fundamental things, if you're out of high school, like you got them down, like you've heard it, but you don't have the mental capacity to sustain it and to receive it because there's probably a struggle. Something isn't at odds in one of these other pillars. So your brain wants you to keep squirrel, like I'm gonna focus on that. I'm gonna complain about money, right? But then I'm gonna do all these. So the money becomes the, the object of your attention, but really if you would redirect that attention towards getting some of these other things in order, the money stuff just really works itself out. 
that's not what people want to hear. <laughs> I know, we're like, you're supposed to give us the secret. Uh, but no, that is the secret. And that's such, that's such a powerful thing. So I know you guys have fallen in love with Patrice and I want you to go and connect with her on social. You can find her on Instagram at seekwisdompcw, which are her initials. Um, and you can also find her on the web at patricewashington.com. And if you're curious about these pillars, which I know you are, we like to share a book club selection every week. And is, is it available for pre-order yet? Not yet. It's coming. Oh. All right. Well, mark your calendars, follow her on social, and you're going to see when her next book comes out. She's written three or four. Yeah, I've written three books and one was reintroduced, was bought by a major publisher and put back out there. So they're technically four books, but three. <laughs> and, and the one that's coming up, is it going to be titled Redefining Wealth? Yeah, Redefine Wealth for Yourself redefine wealth for yourself. So you can really take that, that book as an opportunity to dive into these pillars and apply them. And you also, do you still do some coaching? I feel like I saw recently that you were taking some clients. Yeah. I was eyeing it myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I still do coaching all around, um, you know, helping people go from purpose to platform. So mm -hmm. if you feel like you want to finally come out of the shadows and share that story, share your bathroom moment, Yes. And use it as a way <laughs> to truly bless other people. Because it's not about us. There are people who are not sleeping at night or tossing and turning because they don't know that we've overcome. They don't know. Even if you haven't gotten all the way out of it, that's the other part. You don't have to be a 10. If you're a seven, there's a three who's not sleeping at night. But they wish you knew how to make it to a four. And you know, and I feel like my first grade teacher, Ms. Point, taught me if, if you learn something, it's your responsibility to share with your friends. So that's what I teach people how to do. I think that's the wisdom we're going to leave you guys with for today. Um, if you have, if you have something of value, if you have learned how to do something, you get the honor and privilege of sharing that with other people. So right now there's some area of your life where you are an expert, where you know more than others, where you can lead the way and you get to go and steward that and help other people. Um, Patrice, thank you so much. You've been such a guiding light for me. And I know that you've, you've elevated and, um, and hopefully activated some of the people listening today to really take their perspective on wealth um, and shift it so that they can cultivate more of that in their lives. So thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. I'm just honored to know you. Same here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, hit her up on the web, you guys, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.